Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. Welcome to um, the student, our annual student reading. This is a final event and the 15th year of the Lunch Poem series. So welcome. Um, thank you all for coming. Um, it is also my great pleasure to welcome uh, Cecil Giscom here today. He will be introducing um, the readers. Uh, Cecil is a professor in the English department here at UC Berkeley. He's also um, quite an amazing poet. His most recent publication is Prairie Style. So please welcome Cecil Giscom. Thank you. Thank you, Giovanni. Uh, for asking me to do this, and and thank all of you for for uh, for being here. It's always amazing to me, coming from elsewhere, at, at the the power uh, that poetry has in this uh, in this area, at this school, in this uh, in this group of cities. It's been my pleasure, and it's been a great privilege to have taught poetry here for the last the last four years. And to have worked in one way or another with a, with a number uh, number of the people who I'm going to be introducing uh, today. So, without further ado, Kurt Beals. Kurt Beals is a graduate student in German literature and culture. His translation of Anja Utler's Engulfen Kintel was nominated for the 2010 Northern California Book Award for Poetry in Translation. Uh, I call to the podium, Kurt Beals. So the, um, the selection that I'm going to be reading today is based on the myth of Daphne, who is a nymph who is chased by Apollo, and in order to escape Apollo, she's turned into a laurel tree. Um, and so you see the transformation taking place in this poem. For Daphne lamented, myself, as if dethorned by him, as if it had all turned now, am scented, am stalked, fully quarry, my sweat rush through branches, through brushwood from him. They light into, grab, hook, whipping, swifter, my flanks, eyes. No, no, I must go through, must make it at once to the river, river. Beg him, take me quick, father, I plunge in your rapids, and you then release me, pure as foam, as air, air, and fleeing, I ripple your face in thanks. And already you spray, lap my ankles, refreshing, will free me, let go now, at once. May not, though, know what are you taking to you, ran straight onto your sodden ground, fixed with a single jerk, lurch, no, limbs ripping, still rear up and stop. I must warp myself, withered, worked into the wood, stiffen, what are you taking from me, me? See, at last sight it adorns you, my unseeing image will, must always glitter with you, rippled dimmer now skimming your thanks now, it swims in the eye of the hunter as well. How dry my arm makes made the flanks, often now they well up, out they salivate, gnaw at me, mounting, make room then entwines himself in me, and his hot flesh Damp, so unceasing, you rise up in me, raise me, that I may stand, bloom, and bear, may not even shed leaves, just my fruits fall away unawares, so I bring them, they rot, nourish your ground. 
Now allowed just to wither, to parch, just to thirst. Here I rustle out drier now after the birds. Singe, please, scorch the shadow from him, from this red brow, so that he may burn out, this pulse from my tips, so that I may release myself, pure as, un- as a scent, as uncrackling air, may submerge, may submerse myself, leafing, de-leafing into the low, spurging shoots, drive them from me, buried, spraying, stretch out, hissing, eat of it, eat. Thank you. From the English department, Rachel Beck. Rachel Beck has been writing poems since giving up on science fiction many years ago. She's a PhD candidate. Uh, She's currently teaching verse writing, and she's thinking a great deal about Frank O'Hara and about Susan Howe. Rachel. Hi. I write poems partly because I get excited by things that don't seem to excite other people. (laughs) One day I realized that the words solder and soldier were separated by a single eye. This for me was a, have you ever really looked at your hand moment? (laughs) I desperately wanted to call a friend and ask, do you see what this means for childhood toys, warfare, the periodic table? (laughs) But I'm learning. I wrote a poem instead. The Hour of Lead. She's always sweet, the long-necked one who didn't work. Don't all affairs start with a story about an ex? Who comes clean and free? There are no new pairs, just our own faces set in myths, you say. I work my unweaving, tangled threads. If you have never been here, why should I regret your leaving? Not to own Outside, tuneless wind sings its colder scales. Longer yet, I wanted to linger and trespass your breathing, soft locus, to scintillate sleep. The difference between solder and soldier, identity. Look, I have built you a row of sheened selves. There is no room in them for pity. Thank you. Please introduce Joseph Bush, a longtime lunch poems volunteer and a man who knows where all the restrooms in the building are. Uh, this poem takes as its inspiration the Banff Mountain Film Festival. Slam song for kayak. They paint the towers green and make them look like trees. Nice to have the forest back, and soon they'll find those bees. The frogs are not dead, not disappeared, but only hard to see. For all the cars there are today, for them to hide beneath. And still there's news that all's not right. Our boobs too small, briefs too tight. Sons and daughters bred in dishes, carrots sharing genes with fishes. In the dark, the spinach glows, and so I sense a time to go. I raise my paddle from its shelf, my helmet from its peg, and as I count my blessings, I don my wooden leg. 
I steal a kiss from Hennessy, I pop a purple pill, I lash the kayak to the rack and light out for the hills. If all the world has gone to hell, let heaven be class six. I'll charge those rapids one by one down the river sticks. For some, the path to inner peace involves a small transition. They kick the dog, club a seal, shoot a politician. Far from me to criticize, castigate, or demonize. In a nation free as this, where we shoot whom we wish. May I say with all respect, you don't have to join a sect. If your mood is turning gray, turn your thoughts into spray. As you pause to lock and load, maybe we should hit the road. Ere you lead your sheep to slaughter, know I found your angry fix. Watch this run, then kiss these guns. They've been shooting white, white water down the river sticks. Don't be their fairy, Charon. Let go your flaccid pole. Abandon placid waters. Time to stir your soul. The dead all ride in motorboats. They pull the cord and go. The dead still vote for president in Boston. In Chicago, they haven't left the internet. They're there among your friends. And while they die in accidents, the texting never ends. And though you're waiting for their fare and Cerberus acts his best, the families of the dead celebs refuse to grant them rest. Yes, they work them to the bone, as their agents will attest. There's more to life than hauling freight. This one's just calling sick. You're in a fog, but you'll come to down your river, sticks. Your sails go south. Your slaves head north. The Mississippi changes course. Your stocks are dogs. Your ex, a rat. Your doctor, ill. Your trainer, fat. And yellow tape surrounds your house and thunder rocks your putt. Your waves lie down, your snows dry up. Your lover's gone to the menstrual hut. Leave those dishes in the sink. Trust your stash with Mr. Pink. Let your mother turn her tricks. We'll rip that gnarly river. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Darius Carrick. Mr. Carrick, are you here? Oh, Mr. Carrick. Darius Carrick, born with ambiguous fingers. He was an automotive technician before coming to Berkeley to study English. I seem to recall that we compared horror stories about sobs once, didn't we? Sob stories, yes. He hopes to endure more unexpected life transitions. Mr. Carrick, Darius Carrick. This poem is about my ambiguous fingers. Um, However, it is not a sob story. Um, Due to the castrated nature of things, it's one chopped up sentence. As these were trees, and now are stumps, marked with rings of eras ranging, from when the first saline tides dissolve cliffs into sand grist and whirled it in a gyre, to when salt preserves sausage to when shakers seasoned asparagus, till when the arbors were hacked down by old salts for their coastal homes. So, too, my fingers are salt-worn stumps riding on pulp.
Thank you. Delora Sirrett, are you here? Okay, Delora Sirrett uh, is reading for, for my old student, Christine Deekers, who is an English major and creative writing minor. Ms. Deekers is currently studying abroad at Trinity College in, in Dublin. Uh, Delora Sirrett. Address to Santi Alley. Now this summer draft, a hot cough spreads down the corridor where faces pop against the windows. These wide-seated teeth, pockmarked goose faces, selling things from their cubby holes, things out near the welcome mat, things that cling to plastic nails picking at pineapple pieces. Get them on the corner near the Sunday best quinceanera and sex shops, right by the senor skinning mangoes, right by the mayo smothered corn cobs and the seasoned salted cucumber cups. Don't forget the $2 shoes handed out by those molasses hands. Here the thongs slide alongside the baby suits, hung up next to one another, buy them right after each other. And that song that's playing, what does it say again? The hit of it like the vendor's pitch. BB guns, BB guns, BB guns, BB guns, BB guns, BB guns. The heavy afternoon poured through the mouth of a thick woman curved like a hamper of wine. Wada, 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 wada for one dollar, wada, wada, wada for one dollar. Rack a sigh with the alley, rack a sigh in the hollow. Scuttle down the crevice on Olympic Street where the loud white roars away. Could this lady's ham hocks rub the fire we smell? She shuffles in polyester capris from the salon, her flammable mane a new corona. She emits a certain heat that men follow with wet eyes and tongues that lunge toward the smoke that wag to the kindle of her hips. They sure are weary of this chimera, of the ever-changing woman bold against the world, the mudded-up yellow street. Don't forget the singing life bought in the flower bazaar. The yucca buckets drop the bulbs against the screaming trumpets of daffodils that hark out to the protea, whose afro, as you quickly pass, make you ask, have you burst into flames yet? It's all in this lush grace you get for life, strongly like the gush of a swooping swallow in a tree you can buy. A tree, a baby tree, but it isn't spring anymore. The mart sells wilder races that still trace the valley. These flowers are wrapped in the funny pages, sorrel and sea lavender and mustard, bundled together, stray leaves behind. In the street heat, linens dry slow to a truer red and blue and yellow. Flags for the huddle families over the crock pot. This cloth matters. This cloth covers the table we eat off of. Strung along the gorge of the alley, these frayed flags cinch the passage closer, wade underneath the laundry lines, and ship slip through the crowds between shoulders like a sylph. Sweep up the sawdust from the overturned dumpster, the trash heaps, a rat crib. The vagrants careen for the moon, linger against storefronts, pass through the fabric mart at closing, and ask, may I wrap myself in your cloth? What answer do you give but material? the apricot silk hanging high in the warehouse in hopes that it is more than just apricot silk, but casings for the supine men and women. Now the silked lost ones huddle on stoops, splay on the cement, strew with what might be rosemary and daisy and fennel flowers. Thank you.
Thank you. Leconte Dill. Leconte Dill was born and raised in South Central Los Angeles, and she is currently a doctoral candidate in, uh, in uh, Berkeley's School of Public Health. Uh, she also works uh, with an East Oakland youth program, and she's passionate about the power of writing for healing, empowerment, and social justice. Leconte Dill. Good afternoon. Um, thank you to those who nominated me, those who came to support, and to my family. Angels lost and found. One. Amtrak charged ahead to the center. You were central. Avenue. The Sweet Auburn, 125th, U Street West. Central. Avenue. Where number runners, the preacher man, Nat King, and Ella Fitz, ex-sharecroppers, could all meet up for Saturday night testifying. You were wingtips, feathers, and conked hair, shine to dust off red clay, sun that wasn't sweltering, water that didn't drown. You were looking 19 but feeling grown. You were the GA Bill's first house on 77th Street, Estrella Street. You were bourbon at the speakeasy, bruised eyes at nighttime, hair cascading in waves over eyelids in the morning. You were backyard orange groves, grapevines, but still chicken coops and bunches of greens. You were two-faced, but one coin. Two. Flames flew, licking your lips. You were burn, baby, burning. What's happening? Your black was beautiful. Get your cotton-picking hand out of my pocket. Get your afro picked. Get your elbow greased. Put your back into it. Sock hopping, roller derbying, Crenshaw cruising, Watts stacking. Manners mixed with militancy. A touch black migration, a tad black exploitation. You were two-faced, but one coin. Three, dare to keep a kid off drugs, dare to keep you in private school, cursing in cursive, you are integrating. Black ink on white paper, you wanted your MTV to be equal parts NWA, BBD, TLC, SWV. You were Khadijah, Washington, Jamal, Jefferson, Amira, Lincoln freed the slaves, didn't he, Miss Jackson? African Muslim, a black hood, you were Kareem and magic. Raider starter jackets, African mus Muslim, black hoods, braids, fades, and curls. You were busy being a good little girl. You were an earthquake away from a popo beating, homework done by candlelight, silent protest screaming that you were tired of hopscotching over red and blue rags. You skinned your knee, your high tops tripping over the blacktop, clumsy and tongue-tied. You were the bastard child of funk and the blues. You were two-faced, but one coin. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Dill. Taylor Hickok is a second-year Berkeley student majoring in psychology with a double minor in creative writing and linguistics. Aside from writing, 
She loves to play music. She loves to sing. She loves to act in the theater. Taylor Hickok. Hi. This is a poem about living the life of creation. Some of us are the storyteller, and others of us are the story. And this poem is when those two worlds collide. Someone wrote words onto blades of grass. Someone wrote words. They wandered the fields with a fountain pen, bare feet squelching in mud and ink, dewdrops fusing with bold black text, letters burrowing themselves into soil while dandelions exploded in verse. Words soaked and spread and smeared and smudged till the rivers ran black with metaphors. Words fled and flung and flared and flew till the sky turned black with verbs. Words groped and groaned and ground and grew. With each step, they clung to the skin of their heels and rose to touch the arches of their feet and slipped into the spaces between their toes until they couldn't know flesh from language. Stained in ink and blood and water and wine and the sound of a thousand voices from a thousand pens, they were a walking story in the sun. Thank you. Thank you. Catherine Hindenlong graduates this month with a, with, a rhetoric, with a degree in rhetoric and a minor in creative writing. This summer, she will attend the Juniper Summer Writing Institute. She was awarded the 2011 Emily Chamberlain Cook Prize in Poetry and was named a UC Berkeley winner of the Ina Coolbrinth Memorial Poetry Prize. Catherine Hindenlong. everyone. Thanks for being here today, and thank you to Lunch Poems for this wonderful event. Um, the poem I'm going to read today is called Verse Intelligence. When to silence indicates loyalty, a corpse will turn the guns around. We will be wars, radios, promises to soldiers, backstairs so several it appears your guns bear rust. No pardon for paper but demanded shot and thrown into security, the trigger finger moving picture. The new free art is New York blinking, undeveloped bullets in Mexico, relative to America, members are invited. Internment, Langley, J. Edgar, dear sir, re, glass phone, shattered. Very truly yours, the department relevant to this matter. Clatters to the national censorship, the broken communist song of free democratic investigation is moving to Copenhagen. They propped up a dead soldier disguised as a woman coughing up seawater. Death, a victory, waiting list. The capital undertaken for dollars, dinner wines. Cell phone dropped leaflets, bloodshot from planes, contain a well-made refugee. Sacrifice for the sake of two glossy yachts, pink and overfed, source withdrawn from American papers, released for a latte, one quarter for a lion in winter or a revolutionary newspaper, passport unknown, security pending sympathies, alliance watch lists, two copies with aliases, name, name. What do they get you for, director? Playwright. Three-penny propaganda? Hiding bombs in books? Subject in possession of purpose, relief, 
hard-pressed pages rather than pity to be bound, borrowed, classified as support. The boat, the body, is missing. The earth was round for about 30 minutes. This is just business. You cannot stay here, refugee. Thank you. Thank you. Andrew David King, freshman, studying English and philosophy. He's received the Schiller Prize in philosophy and the Joan Lee Yang Prize in, uh, in poetry. Andrew David King. So I'm going to read kind of a new piece, which is always a little bit of a gamble. We'll see how it goes. This is called The Art of Hand and Foot. Taekwondo sounds almost take one, though, and we played with this when we tied our white belts, elastic bands for stomachs swelling with sinew and gristle. Between gauntlets of punching bags heavy as bodies, our knuckles flayed into little red planets that stung as much as they looked like they stung until eyelids of dead skin tented the bone. Harder than anything, when you're in sixth grade and some smaller punk-ass boy wants to tell you to drop down and give me 20, and it sounds pretty much just what it means. I'd smile, get cocky, do it anyway. The lunges and sparring I got used to these all alphabets of muscle in the space between letters, pain, stretch of cartilage, another round of jogging. Today, I can no longer lift my shin to my forehead. I can no longer speak to my body the color of a belt and watch it obey, plastic. Those Saturday mornings, we gave ourselves asthma sprinting through South Hayward, Garin Park's mud leeching our shoes like cleft feet, dead extra limbs, and we couldn't stop for anything, not even a stoplight or crosswalk, endorphin cocktail on the rocks, another literal. Graduation. You broke the board, brother, and I didn't. I cried, brother, like a worthless two-cent no-good. I'd never fight street, crack a panel the way fire's molars do when the embers chew a cavity from the wood. But not all of us can take one, take this, bow our heads into our crotches like little wonderkins, though some of us wish we could, like this one, old enough to vote, my body grumbling towards some grotesque adulthood that looks nothing like the black of its belt, says it should, skin of my hands scarless, no evidence of the fight. Thank you. Kayla Krut is a sophomore studying comparative literature. She's also taking courses in English, Latin, and recently German. She read her last year as a recipient of the Joan Lee Young Prize, and she reads uh, to us today having won the Dorothy Rosenberg Lyric Prize. So, Kayla Krut. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being here. Um, this poem is called October Grove. 
Tasmanian blue gums molt, peeling back from their trunk bones, calcifying up from the soil. To the west, the creek spits and slaps. Sand on a beach at low tide, that's how this bark looks. And decaying neck ropes. And the strokes of mayonnaise goldfish, all auburn and russet, all glaucomic blue. The trunk bases are black wrinkled satin, or seeping molasses, or elephant's outsides. The bone bases are littered with fine paper shavings. Meet me here in five minutes. Somebody has carved in the blue gum bone. Predictably, bay laurels burst from the weaknesses of rooted trees and do well there. Blackbirds twitch and hop, clearing the midnight from their throats, milky resin staining their beaks. Rain begins to fall. The tree bones creak. October now is not so warmly colored, nor hung so much like lace from the morning canopies. Thanks. Thank you, Ms. Crute. Christopher Patrick Miller grew up in rural New Hampshire, and he has studied literature, architecture, and philosophy at Syracuse University and the University of Chicago. And currently, he's a graduate student in the English department uh, here at, uh, at UC Berkeley. Uh, Christopher Patrick Miller. Hello. Um, so the poem I'm going to read is part of a large serial project called Arch. This poem is called Touchstone Lodescar, which is a neologism of mine. Okay. Tire peel is this emptiness phasing. Pockets with nothing left to lose. He said, you have got to put the phrase ahead of that tattooed diamond hammer you keep hidden in your shoe. Despite this, or perhaps because of it, delicate, solitary folds, overheard in a throat before a stroke gluts the motel windows with the sharp parts of our faces. We all want nothing more than to be available among the armories, scattered powder verve. Death, a recent survey, is the white nose of a bat flying under the longest bridge, crossing nothing but everything you could lose. Wood vein, listen to our bodies, withdrawing black, master letters sketching a pain across the dandelion rag dirt, a breakdown lane pull over this beleaguered copse of time for yourself in a system's lot. It's staggering to think, despite this, we are more private now, than we have ever been. I am thinking of moving her somewhere warmer. Well, it's always nice to hear about your voice say we value change, or because of it, the training is rigorous for a marathon, especially in this real estate market, saying nothing about the second earth of trash, but it gets harder to wake up for work when the snow crowns horses who sleep out the killing fields, feed the enemy combatants, and rebels wearing coke flowers. They are no more dangerous than your mother. 
whose dry, ratchet fingers pinch the only nerve of blue in your mind. The oldest desert tree is no taller than a child who has come to admit it cannot open the fist it made. Years later, we'll return to them, sinkhole and conciliatory, to admit we cannot find the pockets we have sown in the dark. Push this canoe out slowly into the oil water. Drink twilight we carved. Truth is an effect of love. Your skin is my skin. Subjects to the unlived hours of ferns opening onto barricades and another season of riots in the blistering rock. Lichen. Loadscar. You are the only shield we can bear. It takes years to see the dream in our movements. Alexander Ochoa is a senior English major at the University of California. He's been steadily writing poetry since childhood. Besides poetry, his other major love of life is music, specifically the, uh, the bass guitar and the acoustic electric guitar. Alexander Ochoa. Hello. Um, when I got invited to read here, I decided to write a new poem. Uh, just felt right. And um, all I could really come up with was this reflection about my pending graduation. So the poem is called To Become an Alum. For a humdrum man in a town where hummus is drummed up and the crumpled bums grumble about the government, the doldrums are summed up in the oncoming sun of summer. It's a bummer to glumly strum my guitar after a gulp of rum and wonder where I'll stumble after graduating cum laude and knocking back a couple tumblers, cumbersome to have a humble resume in a time of bad numbers, only looking forward to work, taxes, and the eternal slumber, numbed to the umbrages of grumpy old age and becoming a penumbra, a crummy slump that's dumped on the young. Will I stay near the bay where the bumblebees hum around clumps of plump flowers in the slums that hardly even look like slums, or will I head back to where I'm from, the endless orchards of peaches and plums? For the first two years here, I didn't own an umbrella. Then the clouds would come rumbling, and I'd bumble through the streets, soaked, mumbling humbug, and shrugging. Those early days were a jumble of dumb decisions, but this numbskull wasn't about to be summed up as a chump, so I got the gumption too, even when stumped by chemistry homework, not succumbed to my blunders, and on the weekends I got drunk with my chums and listened to Pink Floyd albums, though never I'm a gumma. <laughs> then the years seemed to clump up, and though like chewing gum, the motions became monotonous and lost some of their oomph, I always felt like I would triumph before jumping ship. With heavy pack, I'd hump to class listening to gumboots, encumbered, grunting and harumphing at the ums offered there as though poetry hump were cause for a tantrum. But when the years moved past the fulcrum, the scales tilted and I was left with the crumbs. The dictum became stale as the fraternal rumpus, the same old music being pumped. I was acting like a real dummy then. I should have 
bumped myself on the head for allowing my spirits to plummet instead of pummeling my demons and letting my heart thump. Somehow I snapped, but not quite completely, out of that funk, reading stuff like Poem with a Cucumber in it and watching movies like Forrest Gump. I jump-started the umbra of my rumpled soul and erupted into a newfound joy but was still not devoid of the tumult of tensions or tedium. Now, there are times when I clumsily twiddle my thumbs and try not to feel trumped by the future or lay around like a lump. And I know it's overblown. It's not like Ilium is burning or there have been murders in the forum. It's just difficult to know that you've had your last autumn. Thank you. There's never a last autumn. (laughs) Jillian Osborne is a fourth-year graduate student in the Berkeley English Department. At the moment, she's writing her her dissertation um, on Melville's Pierre, or the ambiguities. As well, uh, she's also working on poems about California and about Saratoga County in upstate New York. Jillian Osborne. This is a, a poem, I have a number of poems about teenageness and looking for certain kinds of culture. So this one's called Another Place. Walking through Rome with a book or sandwich several days, always at an intersection chewing too quickly. Here's where they house the sick and rectified apartments out of looping ruined windows clogged crumbling brick with brick less ancient for tastes of the living past a man pointing a horn at the passing river so the river swallowed and ran on here lions and dead passageways of tough when in rome don't be a young flirt or a bride don't be young or a study lay in the grass getting at gender solitarily buried my pencil and paper with wonder The best sculpture I'd ever seen, you said, when you told me I'd be Demeter or Persephone, was Apollo seizing Daphne with the rape of Proserpina taking a close second. Mine was the little boy angel stabbing Teresa through the chest with pure intention. Thanks. Thank you, Ms. Osborne. Tara Phillips is a transfer student from Santa Rosa Junior College, and she graduates this month with a degree in Comp Lit. She is the recipient of the Cook Poetry Prize and uh, most recently the Teresa Hak Kyung Cha Fellowship, and she is also a former Lunch Poems intern. Tara Phillips. There she is. It's uh, such an honor to be here reading with so many talented poets, so... um... Here's a poem I wrote a while ago about uh, my time studying abroad in Chile. So, uh, Malacara, Chile. His uncles usher in the goats before the sun goes down, and the night comes over the hills like a thief of light. It seems the stars are blotted out by its thick ink. That is when Senora Carmen lights the oil lamp, stacks more wood on the fire, 
Her thick brown hand stirs and tastes the caldo with sudden grace, and I catch a glint of her gold tooth as it reflects the flame during one of her stories I don't understand, except that she is the hero because she's outsmarted the man who tried to fool her and tells him to go to hell. When the men come in, the bread is toasted and the tea hot. She sets out the cheese, finds dishes in the dark, and serves them. Tio Oscar remembers his days on the ship and names off places he's been. Greece, Turkey, London, San Francisco. And you're still a brute despite the worldly education, laughs the other uncle. His last wisps of hair plastered to his scalp. He chews his bread while his nubs of teeth click like that of a horse. As the mare sticks her head in the kitchen window, looking for the bucket of whey they leave her. After the dishes are cleared, the talk ended, and our cups empty, we make our way to the wooden hut, and the two of us squeeze into a one-person bed. We shiver against the cold, listening to the animals stamp and bleat in the corral. It seems they have untied the male goats, who have not made it all season. They groan like fiends in a brothel. They are relentless and do not cease until morning. Thank you. Swati Rana was born in India, and she's lived in Ontario, New Hampshire, now California. She's a graduate student in the English department, and she's writing a dissertation on early 20th century immigrant literature. Her poems have appeared in Berkeley Poetry Review, Salt, Word, and Uncommon Threads. Swati Rana. Thank you so much, and thank you to the organizers. Um, I'm just reading an excerpt from a piece I'm working on, um, a manuscript about the relationship between the daily journey of work, but also the journeys that we make to find work, whether across to different towns, across continents, uh, different countries, and so on. And this piece is, tr is about trying to get through the afternoon. Busy byways of morning dead end. How finely she was drawing the asked-for lines. It had been a day of ins and outs, so much of trying to look busy that she fooled herself. Yes, of course, she'll have done, and the next, she'll have tasked her body. Downstairs, someone like her is sitting much the same way. Upstairs, all replicating the best employee. Cubit of their own private loss and thunder. She works all afternoon for pay. She works hard to stave off resignation. Around comes the old killjoy alarm, wake up. Wake up to the god-awful sounds. Check yourself in four places before settling down, half and half awake in your gray cubicle, your bent, beautiful world, hunched over some such scheme as your survival. Her gray is grayer. No patina of beginnings or ends in the clear light of afternoon. She thinks it would be better to be confused, to have arrived too late to complete one's ambition. A small thing, paper cut, all out of proportion. The exact hour her head unhinges is unknown. It occurs to her that some people never look behind to see if they have forgotten something. She's not these people. Where there is no window, she sees a perfect city with rooms to let. Blue ether behind the screen, lovelier than twilight. That very afternoon, she sees a view of the city where there is no window. It is beautiful, she thinks. Look at all that beauty. She pulls the cavalcade over to decide where to go next. This box, maybe that one, or something entirely different. No lid on the proceedings. 
She hopes to identify herself with a complete stranger. Other people, feet clocking, keeping time on the sidewalk, last of sun on ankles. The workday ends when she tires of making herself look busy. Next day's breath in advance feels good, like cheating. It's enough that neither of her shoes has walked yet. She's almost able to anticipate this outcome over any other. There is no living off the lines. Ask the sulky dowager with her reckless dog guarding the keep. She waits and waits for her destination to arrive on the left. Thank you. Lena Reyna is a third-year English major. She is a student, teacher, poet, and poetry for the people. Her work has been published online in Poetry for the Mind's Joy, uh, which was sponsored by the uh, U.S. Poet Laureate Kay Ryan, and has been read on Voices of America on, uh, on National Public Radio. Lena Reyna. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Uh, every year, my father and I reunite, and we get a hotel room in Venice Beach, and we talk about our life and our plans for the future, and this is a poem I wrote after our last visit. My father cracks open another, fills glass half empty, and asks if I want mine with Clamato this time. He slurps, burps, exhales with relief, takes those bruised straight to a blue and bruised liver. Doctor says I can't drink no more. Well, who am I to tell him what to do with the last of his life? Life's boring without a bud, he clarifies. Between the hepatitis, experimental cures from China, Ambien, Vicodin, morphine, Oxycontin, and 30 years sitting at a kitchen table with only one chair. He figures the dead know they're leaving long before they're called. I'm at peace with it, Lena. All this was just practice anyway. The next life will be the real one. I hope you'll be my daughter again. The room has gone orange, except for black shadows pushed against the wall. The sun, godlike, slashed in ha sliced in half before us, continuously cutting itself down into nothing more than a wink of a horizon, a coral blazing beam, incendiary passage into night, departs into tide and current. This is how it should be. Throw what remains of me right there, introduce my ashes to that sea. Fingers poke, then press against the window, framed like a tombstone's yet unwritten epitaph. Swim me into the ocean and let me go. Okay, Dad, I tell him. He should sleep with mermaids. And we tip a toast to that, the contract bound by Budweiser, a breeze of salty sand, father-daughter bond, spoken in a sea-tossed, tired tongue. Half of the view is fluorescent now, half is grayish-blue, all of California is in our room, the entirety of our lives in an aluminum can, the future, a lump of ash from fist of hand to crest of wave-breaking 
into new life. We nibble on wheat thins and sharp cheddar. Joe Cocker and Father sing to me. We get drunk, having settled on a plan. And the mermaids crawl to shore, calling him home. Thank you, Ms. Reina. Margaret Ree. Margaret Ree is a doctoral student in ethnic studies, and her work has been published in the Berkeley Poetry Review and in Altered Barbie. She co-edited Here is a Pen, an anthology of West Coast Kundaman poets, and her first poetry chapbook, Yellow, is forthcoming from Tinfish Press. Margaret Ree. So this poem was written in Professor Giscombe's poetry seminar, and uh, it's a rosal, and it is intertextual. Nectarines. When my mentor Beth was pregnant, $10 worth satisfied her cravings. She also finished her Stanford dissertation, mouthful of honey, her womb a pit. Was it the baby or the nectarines? Whereas contributions of Korean Americans include the invention of the first beating heart operation for coronary artery disease, a four-time Olympic gold medalist for diving, and the nectarine. The flesh is delicate, easily bruised in some cultivations. It is a peach with plum skin, a peach without its fur coat. Slice them into a salad or serve them with cheese. This is the way of the nectarines. Judging by their achievements over the past hundred years, theirs is an American story that confirms opportunity in these free United States. The name is from the drink of the Olympic gods called nectar. Julia learned in her freshman year of college, nectarines were created by two Korean brothers. The Kim brothers, it's like a peach and a plum together, she said, the nectarine. In the article, The Yellow Pearl, Jack London wrote, the Korean is a perfect type of inefficiency, of utter worthlessness, and tested thus, the Korean fails. He probably didn't know about the nectarine. Then Julie tells me later, you guys can be the nectarine sisters. And I say, more like she's a beautiful rosy peach, and I'm a lovely purple plum, and together we make a nectarine, nectarine family love. Terry Hong, I consider myself Korean and American. A Korean American is a hybrid product of both U.S. and Korean countries and cultures. Beat. I am proud we helped develop the nectarine. For Javier's belated birthday, I decide to make him a sundae. Caramel chips, vanilla ice cream, and lines of poetry as topping. And before we take a bite, I add his favorite, fresh, plump pieces of nectarines. The first wave of immigrants from Korea began to arrive in the early 1900s. Harry Kim, Kim Hyung-soon, created history in 1921 with the fuzzless peach, otherwise known as a sun-grand nectarine. My parents made love sometime in the year of 1983, and I was born in the Hollywood hospital. I have dad's mouth and mom's eyes. I'm a crossbreed, a hybrid, magnificent mixed breed. Am I a nectarine? Thank you. Uh, 
Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Danica Rodermel transferred to Berkeley as an English major from Santa Rosa Junior College. Another one. She is currently uh, a co-facilitator of UC Berkeley's Teach in Prison uh, decal. Danica will be reading from uh, Until I Am Old and Wrinkled, uh, her first self-published uh, book, of, book of poetry. Danica Rodermal. Hello. Um, it's, I'm so cheery, but this is sad, actually. So. Um, it's called When Florida Disappoints. Florida is an unfortunate place to die, especially for a legend. In its wet-hot escapism, as if all bad things were done in another life because they happened in another place. Some fade in the Florida of the cold white rest homes, Parkview Gardens, in the smell of canned meat and brown urine, where little cloud-headed ladies attempt escape at regular intervals and broken old men ask granddaughters for help with their hats. Or in the Florida of the bottom floor in some rundown small town hospital, skilled nursing, next to an old demented lady who cries for help for 20 minutes from her plastic toilet. To stop breathing for a minute and start again, slowly, peering a morphine gaze through almond slit eyes and stop for two minutes and take a few more and rattle. Alex Taitagi is a sophomore and a poet from Redlands, California, and he is grateful to be studying with Jeffrey G. O'Brien. And he has uh, learned that Jack Spicer studied at the University of Redlands before coming to Berkeley, which he admits is very specific, very specific and very personal, but exciting nonetheless. <laughs> Alex Taitagi. Hello. I'm going to be reading something I thought would be appropriate for lunch poems. It's a part of a series called Snacking on Meals. The Hunger Artist. I know it's my lunch hour, so I go to work on your leftover zucchini. A deep pan of fried mushroom has been soaking in the sink next to the knife in the water. Please cook out the Kafka. Either you have eaten my saltine or made a mess of the gelato. Please fess up. I am leisurely watching Polanski. You are eyeing my parsley. Still, let's not fight over the last of the lentils. Another Kubrick rehearsal of Lux Eterna. The pickled voices fill my ice chest. So I carry out boxes. They made napkins of blue velvet. During these last few decades, the interest in professional fasting has markedly diminished. So I carry out boxes. Eventually, you tell me, David Lynch branded his own beans of coffee, or that you have poisoned the jello. Captain Beefheart. The peels laid out like booby traps, as in a mini-game within a video game of a board game. The joystick tongue functions like an Atari banana. Stealing justified by paying for the wrapper. That's how the cookie falls, the diced tomatoes cut into spades. The stale rolls crumble into milk-dud graves down the hatch. The peels, the peels milk honey from a telephone. 
laying it all on the felt table. A poor boy sandwich walks into a salad casino where Captain Beefheart has drawn a rubber chicken. Meals on wheels. The fowl mutters in the brunch time sunlight. The grapefruit quarters sting the chicken scratched finger food. Can this count as a deadly bunch of coconuts rolling down my palm? Do your pine nuts pine for a second helping? We moved the earth so we would not have to fly north, where the immobile truffles sap the caramelized roots. Thank you. Thank you all for coming on this, this beautiful afternoon. We're honored by the work, by being in its presence, by the values of wisdom and vision and perspective. We're honored by these acts of language. Thank you again. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.